Chapter Eighteen of Round the Moon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Mark Smith of Simpsonville, South Carolina. Round the Moon by Jules Verne. Chapter Eighteen Grave Questions. But the projectile had passed the enceinte of Tycho, and Barbicane and his two companions watched with scrupulous attention the brilliant rays which the celebrated mountain shed so curiously all over the horizon. What was this radiant glory? What geological phenomenon had designed these ardent beams? This question occupied Barbicane's mind. Under his eyes ran in all directions luminous furrows, raised at the edges and concave in the centre, some twelve miles, others thirty miles broad. These brilliant trains extended in some places to within six hundred miles of Tycho, and seemed to cover, particularly towards the east, the northeast, and the north, the half of the southern hemisphere. One of these jets extended as far as the circle of Neander, situated on the fortieth meridian, Another, by a slight curve, furrowed the Sea of Nectar, breaking against the chain of Pyrenees after a circuit of eight hundred miles. Others, towards the west, covered the Sea of Clouds and the Sea of Humors with a luminous network. What was the origin of these sparkling rays, which shone on the plains as well as on the reliefs, at whatever height they might be? All started from a common centre, the crater of Tycho. They sprang from him. Herschel attributed their brilliancy to currents of lava congealed by the cold, an opinion, however, which has not been generally adopted. Other astronomers have seen in these inexplicable rays a kind of moraines, rows of erratic blocks, which have been thrown up at the period of Tycho's formation. "'And why not?' asked Nicol of Barbicane, who was relating and rejecting these different opinions." because the regularity of these luminous lines and the violence necessary to carry volcanic matter to such distances is inexplicable eh by jove replied michel ardin it seems easy enough to me to explain the origin of these rays indeed said barbicane indeed continued michel it is enough to say that it is a vast star similar to that produced by a ball or a stone thrown at a square of glass well replied barbicane smiling and what hand would be powerful enough to throw a ball to give such a shock as that the hand is not necessary answered nicol not at all confounded and as to the stone let us suppose it to be a comet ah those much abused comets exclaimed barbicane my brave Michel, your explanation is not bad, but your comet is useless. The shock which produced that rent must have come from the inside of the star. A violent contraction of the lunar crust, while cooling, might suffice to imprint this gigantic star. A contraction? Something like a lunar stomach-ache, said Michel Ardin. Besides, added Barbicane, this opinion is that of an English savant, Naismith, and it seems to me to sufficiently explain the radiation of these mountains. That Naismith was no fool, replied Michel. 
Long did the travellers, whom such a sight could never weary, admire the splendours of Tycho. Their projectile, saturated with luminous gleams in the double irradiation of sun and moon, must have appeared like an incandescent globe. They had passed suddenly from excessive cold to intense heat. Nature was thus preparing them to become selenites. Become selenites? That idea brought up once more the question of the habitability of the moon. After what they had seen, could the travellers solve it? Would they decide for or against it? Michel Ardin persuaded his two friends to form an opinion, and asked them directly if they thought that men and animals were represented in the lunar world. "'I think that we can answer,' said Barbicane. "'But according to my idea, the question ought not to be put in that form. I ask it to be put differently.' "'Put it in your own way,' replied Michel. "'Here it is.' continued Barbicane. The problem is a double one, and requires a double solution. Is the moon habitable? Has the moon ever been inhabitable? Good, replied Nicholl. First let us see whether the moon is habitable. To tell the truth, I know nothing about it, answered Michel. And I answer in the negative, continued Barbicane. In her actual state, with her surrounding atmosphere certainly very much reduced, her seas for the most part dried up, her insufficient supply of water restricted, vegetation, sudden alterations of cold and heat, her days and nights of 354 hours, the moon does not seem habitable to me, nor does she seem propitious to animal development, nor sufficient for the wants of existence, as we understand it. Agreed replied Nicholl. But is not the moon habitable for creatures differently organized from ourselves? That question is more difficult to answer, but I will try. And I ask Nicholl if motion appears to him to be a necessary result of life, whatever be its organization? Without a doubt, answered Nicholl. Then, my worthy companion, I would answer that we have observed the lunar continent at a distance of five hundred yards at most, and that nothing seemed to us to move on the moon's surface. The presence of any kind of life would have been betrayed by its attendant marks, such as divers' buildings, and even by ruins. And what have we seen? Everywhere and always the geological works of nature, never the work of man." If, then, there exist representatives of the animal kingdom on the moon, they must have fled to those unfathomable cavities which the eye cannot reach, which I cannot admit, for they must have left traces of their passage on those plains which the atmosphere must cover, however slightly raised it may be. These traces are nowhere visible. There remains but one hypothesis, that of a living race to which motion, which is life, is foreign. One might as well say, living creatures which do not live, replied Michel. Just so, said Barbicane, which for us has no meaning. Then we may form our opinion, said Michel. Yes, replied Nicholl. Very well, continued Michel Ardin. The scientific commission assembled in the projectile of the gun club 
after having founded their argument on facts recently observed, decide unanimously upon the question of the habitability of the moon. No, the moon is not habitable. This decision was consigned by President Barbicane to his notebook, where the process of the sitting of the 6th of December may be seen. Now, said Nicholl, let us attack the second question, an indispensable complement of the first. I ask the Honourable Commission, if the moon is not habitable, has she ever been inhabited, Citizen Barbicane? My friends, replied Barbicane, I did not undertake this journey in order to form an opinion on the past habitability of our satellite, but I will add that our personal observations only confirm me in this opinion. I believe, indeed, I affirm, that the moon has been inhabited by a human race organized like our own, that she has produced animals anatomically formed like the terrestrial animals, but I add that these races, human or animal, have had their day and are now forever extinct. Then, asked Michel, the moon must be older than the earth? No, said Barbicane decidedly, but a world which has grown old quicker, and whose formation and deformation have been more rapid. Relatively, the organizing force of matter has been much more violent in the interior of the moon than in the interior of the terrestrial globe. The actual state of this cracked, twisted, and burst disk abundantly proves this. The moon and the earth were nothing but gaseous masses originally. These gases have passed into a liquid state under different influences, and the solid masses have been formed later. But most certainly our sphere was still gaseous or liquid when the moon was solidified by cooling and had become habitable. I believe it, said Nicholl. Then, continued Barbicane, an atmosphere surrounded it, the waters contained within this gaseous envelope could not evaporate. Under the influence of air, water, light, solar heat, and central heat, vegetation took possession of the continents prepared to receive it, and certainly life showed itself about this period, for nature does not expend herself in vain, and a world so wonderfully formed for habitation must necessarily be inhabited. But, said Nicholl, many phenomena inherent in our satellite might cramp the expansion of the animal and vegetable kingdom. For example, its days and nights of 354 hours? At the terrestrial poles they last six months, said Michel. An argument of little value, since the poles are not inhabited. Let us observe, my friends continued Barbicane, that if in the actual state of the moon its long nights and long days created differences of temperature insupportable to organization, it was not so at the historical period of time. The atmosphere enveloped the disk with a fluid mantle. Vapor deposited itself in the shape of clouds. This natural screen tempered the ardor of the solar rays and retained the nocturnal radiation. Light, like heat, can diffuse itself in the air. Hence, an equality between the influences, which no longer exists, now that that atmosphere has almost entirely disappeared. And now, I am going to astonish you. 
"'Astonish us?' said Michel Ardin. "'I firmly believe that at the period when the moon was inhabited, the nights and days did not last three hundred fifty-four hours.' "'And why?' asked Nicholl quickly. "'Because most probably then the rotary motion of the moon upon her axis was not equal to her revolution.' an equality which presents each part of her disk during fifteen days to the action of the solar rays. "'Granted,' replied Nicholl, "'but why should not these two motions have been equal, as they are really so?' "'Because that equality has only been determined by terrestrial attraction. And who can say that this attraction was powerful enough to alter the motion of the moon at that period when the earth was still fluid?' just so replied nicholl and who can say that the moon has always been a satellite of the earth and who can say exclaimed michel ardin that the moon did not exist before the earth their imaginations carried them away into an indefinite field of hypothesis barbicane sought to restrain them these speculations are too high said he problems utterly insoluble do not let us enter upon them. Let us only admit the insufficiency of the primordial attraction, and then, by the inequality of the two motions of rotation and revolution, the days and nights could have succeeded each other on the moon as they succeed each other on the earth. Besides, even without these conditions, life was possible. And so, asked Michel Ardin, humanity has disappeared from the moon yes replied barbicane after having doubtless remained persistently for millions of centuries by degrees the atmosphere becoming rarefied the disk became uninhabitable as the terrestrial globe will one day become by cooling by cooling certainly replied barbicane as the internal fires became extinguished and the incandescent matter concentrated itself, the lunar crust cooled. By degrees the consequences of these phenomena showed themselves in the disappearance of organized beings, and by the disappearance of vegetation. Soon the atmosphere was rarefied, probably withdrawn by terrestrial attraction. Then aerial departure of respirable air and disappearance of water by means of evaporation. At this period the moon becoming uninhabitable was no longer inhabited. It was a dead world, such as we see it today. "'And you say that the same fate is in store for the earth?' "'Most probably.' "'But when?' "'When the cooling of its crust shall have made it uninhabitable.' "'And have they calculated the time which our unfortunate sphere will take to cool?' "'Certainly.' and you know these calculations perfectly but speak then my clumsy savant exclaimed michel ardin for you make me boil with impatience very well my good michel replied barbicane quietly we know what diminution of temperature the earth undergoes in the lapse of a century and according to certain calculations this mean temperature will, after a period of four hundred thousand years, be brought down to zero. Four hundred thousand years!' exclaimed Michel. "'Ah! I breathe again!' 
"'Really, I was frightened to hear you. I imagined that we had not more than fifty thousand years to live.' Barbicane and Nicol could not help laughing at their companion's uneasiness. Then Nicol, who wished to end the discussion, put the second question, which had just been considered again. "'Has the moon been inhabited?' he asked. The answer was unanimously in the affirmative. But, during this discussion, fruitful in somewhat hazardous theories, the projectile was rapidly leaving the moon. The liniments faded away from the traveller's eyes, mountains were confused in the distance, and of all the wonderful, strange, and fantastical form of the Earth's satellite, there soon remained nothing but the imperishable remembrance. End of chapter.